Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week two of our series entitled Joyride, A Trip Through Philippians, and this week we are led by our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. Pastor Jared will be preaching on having joy in unity. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you as we continue this series, Joyride. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we can be in your house this morning. We can, we can sing your praises full of joy, that we can hear your word proclaimed full of joy. Lord, that we can say what we believe here full of joy. Lord, many of us come in with heavy hearts this morning, Lord. Things on our minds, things that we're thinking about, distractions in life. We look around the media and the culture and we feel like maybe there's not a whole lot to be thankful for a lot to find joy in. Lord, I pray that we can leave those things here at the door. Lord, that we can come in, that we can hear your word proclaim, that you can penetrate our hearts this morning, that you remind us what true joy really looks like. Lord, we thank you for what you speak to us in your word, that you touch on everything that we ever need to know about life and how to live out this life, how to live it as a body of believers. And I do thank you for this church, for sustaining it, for leading it for so many years. Continue to do so. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And that we aren't just hearers of the word, we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever taken a joyride, like in a car, where you just get in a car and go. Where there's no, uh, you kind of forget about all the things in life. I remember taking a lot of joy rides uh, when I was in ministry at first. And we traveled around with Silver Ring thing a lot. It was great to be able to just be in the truck, just, just traveling. Then we had kids, and uh, joy rides became a nightmare. Uh, if you've ever had kids uh, driving around with them. But the idea of joy ride is what? Is to, is to kind of forget about stuff in life. Just so you know, we're going through the book of Philippians. We've done series in the past, and the reason that we come up with different names and themes for this series is not based on our own accord, it's based on what the Scripture tells us, right? So if you, if you remember in the summer, we had this whole set set up up here, it looked like a, looked like a jungle, we were in the wilderness, it was about Peter, right? We did a, a, we did a look at Peter, and Peter was writing to the exiled people, and he was giving them hope, and his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope, so we call it hope in a hostile world. If you're here with us in the spring, we did a series through John, the book of John. The key verse in the book of John is, these things are written so that you may believe. So we titled the series, That You May Believe. Last summer, we did a series on James. James talks about how we are to live out this life, the actions and behaviors that we have. So we called it, Walk This Way. Next year, we do a series in Revelation. Blessed are the ones who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart because the time is near. So we, we base it on what the theme of that book actually is. Each book of the Bible, what's what we encourage you to read along with us, has a theme because it's written to different people in different times and contexts, right? What Philippians is really about is about joy. The key verse there is, is Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always... Again, I say it again, rejoice. I hope you can find joy. That's what, that's what this is all about. It's about going on a trip where you kind of forget about the issues and problems and stuff in life. And you remember that there's joy. Now, it's easy to have joy when you're driving down the road in that car. By the way, I thought our tr- staff was going to split on which car we use, right? Some of the staff wanted to use an old kind of classic car. Some of the staff wanted to use like a, like a newer, like 2018, like a sports car, right? I looked at him and said, it doesn't matter to me, okay? It doesn't matter. Because 
the idea is you get in a car and you go, all right? It's about finding joy. And it's easy to find joy if you like that kind of car, like a different kind of car just to go and forget about the problems of life. It's easy to find joy when things are going well, right? It's a whole other thing to find joy when there's issues and problems in life, right? And that's what Paul's writing to us about. Paul's writing to us from prison. In 61 AD, he's in prison in Rome, and he's saying, hey, listen, you got to find joy. It's not about, oh, man, he was excited that he was in prison. Oh, I'm, I'm joyful in prison. I can't wait for my next meal to come. No, right? It was a deep-seated joy. This series is not about finding joy in the, the fun of life. That looks like fun, but it's not about finding the fun in life. You want to have joy? It's not about what you have. Not about what you're driving. Not about what your uh, house looks like. It's not about what the trip you're about to go on. It has nothing to do with that. The deep-seated joy that, that, that Paul's going to talk to us about is finding that joy down deep, no matter what's going on in the world around us. So last week, as Pastor Jamie was here, he talked about joy and suffering, right? Jamie wasn't finding joy in the, the fact that his back was hurting. He was finding joy because of what was happening in his heart. Despite what's going on around you, do you have joy? In this next chapter, chapter 2, we talk about joy in unity. Now, some of your Bibles, if you have a Bible, it might say joy in serving. Say, so, well, is it joy in serving or joy in unity? i got to tell you, they go hand in hand. Because you can't serve unless you have unity. You cannot serve unless you're unified looking to somebody else in life as a model, as a method, as a means to do it. There's no way you can serve unless you first have a model to look at. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to unity. You know, one of the things that Satan's forever goal is, is to break apart the church, right? We just want to break apart the church. There's so many things, so many ways where in the past where churches have split over so many ridiculous things, right? So many ridiculous things. I, was, uh, I had a privilege of meeting together with uh, some pastors for a dinner this week. We had a dinner with some senior pastors. We came together and we were talking about stuff in our ministry. We were all introducing ourselves and what church we were at. And I knew this gentleman from many years ago and he said, you know, my name is Pastor uh, such and such. And he said, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with a church with no name. We went, what are you talking about? Yeah, what do you mean you have no name? He said, well, we're going through a name change. And so we kind of laughed. We said, well, where are you at with that? He said, well, we, we got some options. He said, well, how many options are there? He said, 17. <laughs> and we all went, 17 options? He goes, yeah, it's better because we were at 42 a while ago. We narrowed them down to 17, right? Imagine. He said, my issue is, is that I think people are going to leave if we don't pick the right name. If we don't pick the right name for this church, people will leave. And that's the burden I carry around. Can you imagine? I got something a while back from Thomas Rayner. Who, they did a survey. Thomas Rayner does surveys and does a lot of writings on the reasons that churches had split over the years. That causes disunity. right? Where people were quarreling, arguing over various things in life. And they would fight over things. The stupidest things and the most minor of things. And they would lead to a church split. That's what Paul's trying to avoid here. He's not talking about the fundamentals of what we believe. He's talking about those minor things. And so uh, he, there was like a 25, top 25 list of the dumbest reasons that churches split or fought over. But here's a couple of them. There was one church who fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. One church had a dispute on whether or not to install dividers in the women's restroom. There was one church that had a fight over which picture of Jesus was the most appropriate for the foyer. 
There, there was a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Everybody's going to look at Brad's shoes when he comes up here next. Right? There was an argument of whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs at a church meal. Right? Fighting. Right? Unbelievable. Disagreement at a church because one church said that they should have a potluck. Other people wanted to call it a pot blessing. Right? So they started fighting over these things. There was one church who uh, got into a fight because somebody brought vanilla syrup to, for their coffee. Right? One of those vanillas. And people thought it was liquor. And so there was a whole big fight over what, uh, if we were allowed to have liquor there in the church. One church fought over and ended up dividing over a dispute of whether or not the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts, since black is the color of the devil. And then finally, this is my favorite one, there was an argument and eventual split over, of, an, of a church who argued over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Amazing, right? Craziest things. What Paul is saying here is, he's listen, these things grieve the Lord. Disunity grieves the Lord. Why? Because who wants to go to a church where it's fighting, right? Nobody wants to go to a church where there's divisions and fighting going on. It fractures the church. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to fracture the church so that people uh, don't want to be there anymore. And what, what Paul's trying to say is, listen, it's not about your standards or ideas or preferences. You've got to stick to the fundamentals of what we believe here. And that's what we're going to see in a few moments in Philippians 2. It's not about those things, but you've got to lay aside the sta- those, those preferences you have, those agendas, those styles of things that you want to see happen. Otherwise, it's going to cause division in the church. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. Is Listen, what is the formula for unity in the church? How do you have the right formula for unity? We've got to have the right formula. Why? Because people are going to come to this church or another church based on the unity they have. So what's the right formula for unity? Now here's the first one. You've got to, you have to have the right motive. Look at verse uh, 1. If you have your Bibles, Philippians 2, verse 1, it says this. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement, let's go back to last chapter we talked about last week. Philippians 1.27 says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for faith in the gospel. Paul's not talking about these abstract feelings that we have. He's talking about the fact that we all are united because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that comes from encouragement with Him. It also comes from comfort from His love. Those two things. And then we have the Spirit, right? The Spirit that comes. We have fellowship and tenderness and compassion. i got to tell you, we prayed for each and every one of you here this morning. Before we had service, we sat back in the, the cry room and we prayed for the Spirit to unite us as one. That the Spirit would speak to us as one. That's why we come together, because we have a Spirit that's together. We have a oneness that's together. That is our motive. But we also have to have clear marks. Okay, We have to have clear marks. You may say, oh yeah, we're motive- I- I'm Jared, I'm not going to cause division. I'm, I'm here. I love what's happening here at the church. You've got to have clear marks. Look at verse 2. It says, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. That same dinner that I had uh, with those pastors, another pastor shared with this. He said I could share it with you all. He said one of the hardest things in ministry that he ever had to go through, and he shared about this on his radio station, was he was taking over for a pastor who had died. 
founding pastor who had died, but his, the founding pastor's wife and children were still there. He said, uh, Jared, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because the wife was so angry about the loss of her husband that she was often trying, trying to make me feel bad about things that we're doing. She didn't like the style. She didn't like the sermon series. She didn't like the ministry. She didn't like the way the building looked, the way the worship was. In fact, she said to him, he would preach a sermon, and so many times after his sermon, she'd come up to him and go, you know, that was a great sermon, but my husband did it better. And then she said, I'm going to go home and listen to how he preached it. He said it was so divisive that eventually they had to call a meeting because they thought the church was going to split over this thing. And they didn't. She, she ended up leaving. He said the, the whole board was behind him on this. And he said it was years later. He said this was the most powerful thing that ever happened to me in ministry. He said she called him up. This former pastor's wife called him and said, Pastor, I'd like to come speak to you and your board. <laughs> so he said, all right. So he comes in. She comes into the board meeting. He said, we didn't know what to expect. She comes in, and the only thing she had in her hand was a pot of water and a towel. And she said she sat down and washed every one of the board members' feet, looked them straight in the eye, and said, I am so sorry that I caused disunity in the church. I want to be unified, and to show my unity, I want to serve. I want to serve. He said there was, no, there was not a dry eye in the room. What does John 13 say? It says, a new command I give you, that you love one another... As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciple if you love one another. Notice what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, this is John 13. What happens in the beginning of John 13? Jesus is what? Washing everybody else's feet. He goes in and washes all the disciples' feet. He says, listen, I want you to love one another because everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, if you're unified, if you have the same unity, then you're going to serve one another. You may say, listen, I'm not going to cause disunity in the church. I want to be unified. If you want to be unified, my question for you is, are you serving others? That's why we talk about serving opportunities so much here at the church. It's not because we want help. It's because we want to be unified as you serve one another in unity. Are you serving others? You've got to have the right method. Excuse me, you've got to have the right motive. You've got to have the right uh, marks. But this leads to you've got to have the right method as well. What's the method? Look at verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interests, but at, to the interests of others. There's nothing that says serving than doing it in a selfish way, right? Those that are serving in various capacities know it's about, it's about selflessness. It's about humility, Right? There's folks downstairs that just walked through the children's ministry that are serving the kids down there. That is a selfless thing that they're doing. It's such a humbling thing to do. It's not surprising that Paul lists humil- uh, selfishness first because selfishness is the root of every other sin. Selfishness is the root of every other sin. When Satan was kicked out of heaven, he put his will above God's will. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did they do? They put their will above God's will. When we sin, we're saying, we're going to do it our way. I want to do this my own way. I'm going to find joy here, so I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to have this attitude, this behavior, this action. I'm going to come into the church, some people would say, and say, I want it a certain way. I want the worship a certain way. I want the color of the walls a certain way. I want the ministries the when I want them. I want youth group the time I want it to be on a certain night that I want to have. And it causes Disunity, it's selfishness. That's exactly what Paul's trying to warn against here. In Corinthians, the church that he's talking to in Corinth, he is constantly talking to them about unity because they're on the verge of just splitting. 
He goes into James 3.16 and says the same thing. He says, For you, where you have selfish envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Nobody wants to walk into a church that dis- that's disorderly, huh? Everybody wants to walk into a church that's joyful. Right? That's why I love what Pastor Jamie said about, hey, we hear all of us saying the creeds because we have one voice and we do it in a joyful way. You have the right method. Are you serving each other? Finally, we have to have the right model, too. Look at verse 5. This is probably the key to this whole thing. It says, In your relationships with one another, have, them, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used, something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in the human likeness. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you have to read something and you want to know who about Christ is, who God is, and the characteristics, you read Philippians 2. Because what Paul is saying, listen, it all goes back to that perfect model right there. Christ has always exists with God. He is equal to God because he is God. That he became man in order to fill God's plan for salvation. That he didn't have the appearance of man, that he truly was man to identify with us. That he laid aside his rights and privileges to, to die on the cross for us so we wouldn't face eternal death. Then he rose to glory. That's what we say in the creeds. That's what we say is a foundation of what we believe here. And that's where the joy comes. You see, the joy does not come, when we say joy ride, people go, oh man, I I can't wait, I want to have some joy, right? I want to find some joy in life. The joy will not come by what you have or where you're going or how your family's doing. That will be temporary joy. You want to have a deep-seated, long-lasting joy? It it looks like the model of Jesus Christ, where we understand who he is, his nature, we come together as a body, and then we serve one another. Myself and Pastor Jamie and Pastor Brad actually were at a... uh, pastor's lunch this week. I went out to dinner quite a few times this week. Uh, we were at a pastor's lunch for Word FM. And Word FM does this huge event for pastors around the city. They do it once a year. It's downtown. And it's great to come in together. Myself, Brad, and Jamie were there. Pastor Marcus. We come in together and there's hundreds of other pastors from around the city. Other leaders, uh, some board members. There's worship leaders. There's youth pastors. There's uh, 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 folks just coming and serving as part of a church. They all come together for this lunch from all different walks of life, all different churches. You could tell uh, that the room is filled with uh, just different kinds of churches, right? The way people are dressed, what people are saying, the way people are doing, different churches. It's all good. And it was great because the MC got up there and he's, before the before the speaker got up, and he said, uh, isn't it great they're all together in one place? Different denominations, different backgrounds. He said, he said what we're going to do here, we're going to do a little exercise because they do this event uh, 60 times a year in all the cities around the, the country. He said, I love doing this. He said, I'm going to read, I'm going to read a couple of theological truths and you yell amen if you believe it. And I looked over at Pastor Jamie and I said, this is going to be bad, right? <laughs> I mean, you got people coming from all different churches, right? And he wants us, he wants, he, <laughs> I was like, this guy's picking a fight. This is literally what he's going to do. He's going to read some stuff. Half people are going to say amen. Other people are going to yell no and all kinds of, it's going to be a riot, right? So I said, this is going to be bad. Well, he gets up and he said, do you believe that God is the Father of all, maker of heaven and earth? And everyone yells, amen. He said, do you believe that 
He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life here as a man. Everybody yelled, Amen. He said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as a penalty for our sins and rose again three days later? And everybody yelled, Amen. He said, do you believe in the Holy Spirit that comes and gives us compassion and encouragement, convicts us of our wrongs? Everybody said, Amen. He said, do you believe in the Bible? It's an inspired word of God. Everybody yelled, Amen. And everybody clapped and applauded. And I thought, now that's what unity is about. It's, he didn't ask, do you believe that worship should be done by raising your hands? Right? He didn't ask, do you believe that the church should be a certain color or that the service time should be at a certain time in the morning? He didn't ask, do you believe that the church, uh, the preacher should preach uh, from books of the Bible all the time? Should it be uh, topical? He didn't ask, what, what, uh, what night of the week is the best night for youth group? He didn't ask any of that stuff, right? He asked the foundations of what we believe. And there was a lot of joy there. There was a lot of joy because we realized you could put the differences aside, the freedoms we have, and we come together as a body and remember the foundations of what we believe, the foundations of what Philippians 2 says, and we have unity. Oh, that's so wonderful. You know, in a moment we're going to come and remember what Christ did on the cross for us. We remember that he died for us. That's the foundations of what we believe. That's why we take community, uh, communion together, because it's a community event. Because he came to die for us. He was the perfect model. So we come and celebrate that. But I, think, I find it striking that in John 17, that Jesus was on the, the cuff of dying, right? He was on the verge of his death, right? Right around the time of the Last Supper. And he prays this prayer. He says, I'm, I'm praying for all those who believe in me because of their teaching. Father, I pray that they can become one. Father, as you are in me and I am you, I pray that they can also be one in us. Then the world will believe that you sent me. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus, on his final prayer before his death, he doesn't pray for our success, he doesn't pray for our happiness, he doesn't pray for our safety. What does he pray for? He prays for us to be one, he prays for unity. Why? Because unity matters to God. Because unity in unity creates belief. In disunity, there's unbelief. People don't want to come to a church, be part of a community where there's disbelief, there's arguing. People want to come to a church that has unified voice, that there's joy there. Because remember who Christ is and what he's done for us. Don't miss the importance of this. Unity matters to God. Unity matters to God. It's Satan's would love to pull apart the church and make us think that, hey, we have certain preferences and agendas for certain styles of things that we do here at the church. Not the fundamentals, but our own styles and want to pull us apart. We start talking about, wouldn't it be nice if we did youth group here? Wouldn't it be nice if the commons looked like that? Wouldn't it be nice if we had this event happening here at our church? That's Satan's biggest threat to us is to pull us apart because he knows when Jesus prayed that the world will believe that you sent me when we're unified, when we have that same voice, that's what brings us joy and that's what brings other people into the fold and that's what brings joy to us it's a deep-seating, long-lasting joy, why? because other people now have a relationship with Jesus Christ I leave you with this as we come to the communion table, Psalm 126.3 says the Lord has done great things for us And we are filled with joy. Do you have joy this morning? Can we come to the communion table, put all those things aside, all our agendas, all the stuff in life, and have joy because of what he's done for us? I hope you can. 
and sing with joy the songs we sing as we celebrate communion together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, that we can come together and be unified. Lord, we do have different agendas. We do have different things that we want to see happen. But Lord, help us to remember that we have some freedoms here. Freedoms in how we do worship, freedoms in even how we gather to take communion. But Lord, help us to not forget the fundamentals of what we believe here at the church. That you love us, that you died for us, that you paid the penalty that we deserve. So help us be mindful of that as we come forward. Help us have a joy, a smile on our faces. Knowing that no matter what's going on in the world around us, Lord, that we can have a relationship with you. That you come, you can comfort us, guide us, lead us. And that we can be forever with you in eternity. We thank you for that. Be with us in the moments ahead as we celebrate what you've done. And I ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.